Hey, this is Kenny Brown, and I'm a guitar player, blues player, and we're here on Talking Blues. So, I guess I have to ask you how music first got into your life. Well, I gosh, I've always been crazy about guitars and stuff. Actually, my mom, you know, wrote in that, you know, I was always loved cowboy hats and horses and guitars and guns. And I guess I, I still do. <laughs> uh, that was real young, you know, I mean, five or six, you know, as Probably even before that, probably three and four, I was watching Ricky Nelson and James Burton on getting on, you know, Ozzy and Harriet's TV show and Elvis and, uh, you know, those guys. And I grew up just uh, about 15 miles south of Graceland, uh, right off the highway there and, and Nesbitt, Mississippi. And, uh, I was always crazy about music and uh, finally got a guitar when I was maybe 10, trying to play and took some lessons and uh, they were trying to teach me to read music and that wasn't working too good. And finally I quit taking lessons and then uh, Joe Calicut moved in next door to me. and he, His house was like, 50 yards from my bedroom window and uh, found out that he played music and I went over and introduced myself to him and told him I'd like, you know, learn something from him. Started going there every day and uh, that's how I got on into blues uh, was with Joe. So you had no idea who he was? No, not really. I, di I didn't. Uh, I just knew that he you know, like, I watched him for a while because my brother came in one day and uh, I was trying to play my guitar and Joe, uh, my brother had met Joe and my brother told me, uh, yeah, you should go see that old guy that moved in next door. He plays guitar. And I said, oh, that old guy, you know, he said, yeah. He said he plays pretty good too. So I got to watching out my window and stuff, you know, and then got to seeing some hippies coming down there. This was in like 63, 64, something like that, you know. And uh, saw some, maybe maybe a little bit later, but uh, saw some hippies down there, you know. <laughs> I'd never seen a hippie before. And uh, then, I, you know, I'd hear him playing, sitting on the front porch playing. And uh, then finally I got my nerve up and went over and introduced myself. And, um, like I, that's where I went, you know, if my parents couldn't find me, that's the first place they would look, you know, <laughs> and, uh, before school, uh, you know, that's where I went and after school and, you know, if we weren't playing music, you know, we just sitting there talking, you know, he was like a, like a grandfather, a mentor, you know, best friend really, you know, and Joe was in his 60s and I was 11 maybe, you know, when I first started playing there with him. 
Um, when you started teaching you the blues, what did you think of it? Like, did it immediately connect with you? Well, you know, I had learned, like, get the chords, you know, from taking lessons. You know, I knew all the chords, or not all of them. There's so many, but I knew, uh, you know, the three basic chords in most keys. And, uh, and when I started playing with Joe, you know, it was like he just, like, instead of trying to teach me to read music, he was like, hit it like this, boy, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> I knew the chords, and he was surprised that I knew as much as I did. And uh, gosh, we just started playing. He'd laugh and you know grin and slap me on the leg, and say "Yeah, boy," you know. <laughs> and uh, you know, I loved what he was doing. He was singing songs, and you know, and it wasn't Yankee Doodle and Mary had a little lamb and all that stuff. So. Uh, you know, it, uh, I just loved what he was doing. He was, uh, and you know, I had never, didn't really, well, I did, I had heard blues before when I was earlier uh, in my life. This uh, friend of mine, he's a lifelong friend, but he, he lived with us when I, and he was eight years older than me, so he would, you know, we would sneak out of the house late at night when I was uh, probably five or six. Uh, and get in my mom's car and turn on the Nashville radio station, you know, that played blues. And uh, we'd lay down on the seat and nobody know we were in the car, you know, listening to that stuff. You know? Wow. Uh, so I had heard blues, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, I didn't remember hearing it at that point. But, I mean, uh, even before Joe moved in, when we moved to that house there in Nesbitt, right off the interstate, um, when I was about seven years old, I was out playing in the yard and I heard music, you know, and uh, it was, you know, I, I thought, wow, what is that? It was Fife and Drum Band, and it was getting closer and closer. And uh, I was looking down the road, and here comes this pickup truck with a fife and drum band in the back of the truck. They were advertising that there was a picnic going on. You know, that's how they did it then. You know, so many people didn't have phones then. And uh, to my good luck, I guess, or good fortune, it, it turned in right across the road from my house. And that's where they were having picnics. We moved there, I think, in, when I was about six or seven. And uh, my mom said they used to have to spank me to make me come in the house, you know, when the when they were having picnics over there, and they would start like Friday night, and sometimes go till you know late Sunday night, you know, and everybody, all kind of people played there. I know, I know Fred McDowell and Johnny Woods played there. Uh, Johnny told me that later on, and. R.L. Burnside told me he went up there. You know, there's a guy named uh, B.D. Jackson had picnics there, and uh, and you know if I, you know they'd make me come in the house, but back then we didn't have air conditioning so much, you know, and, and they they didn't do it in the wintertime. They did it in the summertime, but uh, my window would be open, so I'd hear this music going, uh, 
And then, you know, the guitars and fife and drums. Sometimes, you know, there, it'd be like, you could tell the people were playing two different songs almost, <laughs> but, but then, you know, but, uh, but, you know, that had a big influence on me, you know, and then Joe, you know, later on when Joe moved in. So I get, you know, I don't know if it's destiny or, or curse or a blessing, you know, but being there in North Mississippi, uh, which is where I live now, but I don't live in Nesbitt, but uh, there were just, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on, you know, back then. You know, there's a term, the Hill Country, North Mississippi Hill Country Blues. Um, I mean, at that point, was it already pretty well established or is that something that kind of came to be? Uh, well, they didn't call it Hill Country Blues back then. Actually, you know, that term didn't really get established, it seems, until after R.L. and I were playing in the 90s, and uh, I think it was late 90s. And, you know, used to everybody called everything Delta Blues. Right. And then... Uh, you know, after R.L., I started playing with him. I got, well, I played with him. I, I met him in like 71 or 72, or, I, you know, early. And same way with him and as with Joe, I saw him playing somewhere, and uh, I introduced myself to him and told him, you know, I played some, and I liked what he was doing and would like to learn from him. And uh, he told me where he lived and told me to come down to his house. And so I did <laughs> the next day or the day or two after. And, and I started going to his house two or three times a week. And uh, he'd get off work. I'd get off work. I'd go, you know, down there. And sometimes we'd sit up till midnight, you know, playing. And he was teaching me all of his songs. And, you know, he, they became family, like the whole family. And they still are. And uh, eventually he took me out to a juke joint, you know, and play in a juke joint and, and all. And uh, it was kind of wild that I, I learned from Joe and from R.L. because uh, I don't know if you ever heard George Mitchell's uh, Delta Blues Volume 2. I think it was on R. Hooley. Uh, there's an album, uh, and R.L.'s on one side and Joe's on the other side, but the two never met. Wow. And I was in Memphis at a friend's house one time, and he tossed me that album. He said, I bet you'd like to see this. He knew that I'd played with R.L. and with Joe. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah. I, was I saw it, and it blew my mind. I was uh, reading the liner notes, and uh, they were, George says, last time we were at Joe's house, uh, he had a 10-year-old white boy from down the road that uh, – came to learn from him every day, you know. And I thought, you know, my first thought was, there weren't any white boys hanging around down there. <laughs> and then, I, then I realized it was me, you know. The color issue, what was it like? I mean, I, I read somewhere, and this is going forward a few years, that when you played with R.L., some people didn't want um, a white guitar player to be playing with them. Is that true? <laughs> I don't doubt that, you know, but um, but beyond that, like, what was that relationship between 
the whites and the blacks in your neck of the woods? Because sometimes I hear things quite differently than what I imagine it to be. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, my family weren't racist. You know, they, I mean, I guess to some extent everybody's racist, you know, because, you know, black people like to hang with black people, white people like to hang with white people, oriental people hang, you know, with the oriental people most of the time. But there were, you know, there wasn't really any racism, you know, like Joe, I mean, like Joe never told me that I couldn't learn to play blues because I was white. And R.L. never told me that. And Joe was like family to me. And, you know, even after he died, his wife was like family. And, uh, but, you know, when they integrated our schools, you know, uh, the people that lived on my road there uh, were mostly black. I mean, there weren't many white families. And some of the kids that I played with, you know, were black kids when I was, you know, growing up. And then when they they forced the integration of the schools, you know, which uh, there were some people that I, I've heard that they got paid to send their sc- kids to the white school, but I, I don't know anything about that. But the same kids I'd been playing with, you know, and we were friends. Then when we started going to school with, you know, it was like we started fighting each other, you know. And then a little later, we started smoking pot and we quit fighting. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, and there were racist people, you know. I mean, there were even people that I know that came, that moved into our school that were sent there just to start trouble, you know. And I know that for a fact, you know, but because uh, that's what they did. And they'd move there from somewhere else, I don't know. But anyway, my family wasn't racist. And, you know, they treated everybody with respect, you know. And that's kind of the way I did, you know. Well, it's pretty much the way I did, you know. And, like, now, you know, some of my best friends are like Dwayne and Gary Burnside, which Gary wasn't even born when I started playing with R.L. And Dwayne was maybe five years old. And they're, you know, they're just like brothers to me. Um, I mean, it's amazing how open they were, both Joe and R.L., to you saying, hey, mm-hmm. can I learn from you? But I guess maybe it's not that special. I mean, maybe it's not that weird. Well, you know, a lot of people are talking about the racism and all. Mississippi gets a, you know, bad rap, you know, which I know there were bad things that happened. But... There's an awful lot of good relationships that doesn't doesn't get publicized. Right. I mean, you know, that doesn't make good movies, I guess. You know, <laughs> uh, and it doesn't make the news. You know that uh, you know black guys and white guys are hanging out. You know, I mean, like uh, like Booker T and the MGs. You know, they're white and black guys that you know made great music and. You know, I've heard stories about, you know, if they stopped at a black place, the black guys would go in to get the food. <laughs> and if they stopped at a white place, the white guys would go in to get the food, you know, 
back years ago, 60s and all. Uh, uh, but, but, you know, even going to the juke joints and stuff, I never, you know, never really had any trouble, you know. Um, now, you know, I've seen some bad things happen, but my grandfather told me, you know, when he found out I was going to the juke joints uh, playing music, and my grandfather, you know, was, uh, well, both of my grandfathers were pretty religious guys, and, you know, and my grandfather, you know, I never saw him smoke or drink or ever heard him cuss, but he called me to the side one day. He said, look, I know you're going out there and playing that music. I'm not going to, you know, tell you not to, but just uh, be careful out there when you go in those places and don't mess with their women. <laughs> I thought, okay. I said, I ain't granddaddy. I'm just going to play guitar. You know? um, what? How old were you when you met R.L.? Uh, I was about 18, I think. Might have been 19. So at that point, where was R.L.'s career? Like, was he basically a local musician that played in a lot of house parties and juke joints? Uh, yeah, more so than anything. I think he had been, he had done the first show, uh, like blues festival he'd ever done a year or two before that. And he went to Canada. Somebody, you know, George Mitchell came through in 67 and recorded Joe and R.L. and different ones and put that stuff out. That stuff got put out on our Hooli. And after that, I guess, is when R.L., they got him hooked up, I guess, that somehow got him hooked up and he went and played a festival up in Canada. And But he hadn't done a lot of things, but... Uh, not long after I met him, you know, he got to going overseas a good bit, you know, but nobody ever, you know, again, like you said, nobody wanted to see a white guy with him. Nobody ever wanted to hire me to go play with him, even though, though I played with him better than, any, than anybody else, you know. But they, but they would hire, you know, somebody like Joe Lewis Walker from California, you know, to play with him or something like that. You know? Um. So when would that? When was that accepted? When did you start touring with them? <laughs> when when we started doing it? <laughs> no, um, the way I got hooked up playing on the road with RL was, uh, I mean, you know, we played together, all, you know, off and on for thirty years. But um, it was in the late nineties. Well, no, it was about ninety two. I was playing with Mojo Buford, harmonica player that used to play with Muddy Waters. And we had done a tour. We went up into Canada and down the East Coast. And when we came back, we our last show on that tour was in Clarksdale. And it happened just happened to be on Muddy Waters' birthday. And so I invited R.L. to come down and sit in, you know, play a few songs. And uh, he did. And... Some of the Fat Possum Records guys, Matthew Johnson and somebody else, brought him down. Um, they were getting ready to do another record with R.L. And uh, during one of the breaks, uh, I got R.L. up there and just him and I played, uh, you know, I don't know how many songs, three or four songs. And uh, I think it was the next week uh, they called me from Fat Possum, wanted to know 
you know, they were going to cut a new record on RL and they want to know if I'd play on it. And I said, yeah, I will, but why? <laughs> they said, I said, uh, RL's best by itself, you know. They, they said, yeah, but we want it to be a little more rocking, you know. And so that was, uh, I said, yeah, I'll do it. And so I went down and I'd been playing with Junior Kimbrough and Johnny Woods and a bunch anybody that would let me play with them, really. But uh, so wasn't long after that, I went down. We went to Junior's juke joint, and Calvin Jackson was R.L.'s son-in-law, which Cedric's uh, father. He was married to Linda, R.L.'s daughter. Uh, but Calvin and I and R.L. had played together a good bit, and so we cut that Too Bad Jim record. And then the next day, we cut a... Sad Days and Lonely Nights, a Junior Kimbrough record. Um, and did all that in our, uh, Junior's Juke Joint. But, and that's that's how they got, you know, I, then it wasn't long after that, actually R.L. and I and went to do a tour or several gigs up in Canada. Um, and by the time we got ready to do that, Calvin had moved overseas, so we were needing a drummer to go play with us. And I asked R.L., said, R.L., you know anybody we can get, you know, play? I, I don't have anybody right now we can take with us. And he said, well, I got a grandson that plays. And I said, was he any good? And he said, yeah, he's pretty good. And I said, well, how old is he? He said, he's 14. I said, well, will they let him let him go out on the road with us? And he said, if I tell them to, they will. <laughs> so, so, so that's when we took Cedric out. And uh, but that's you know that's how we got started playing out on the road. And then you know we did several records after that, and it just got bigger and bigger. You know. I know that you were you worked in construction. Did you think that you would be a full time musician? Was that the goal? Was it like how did you view a career in music? Well, I mean, I guess you know, I guess I probably had dreams, you know, of doing that. You know, or would would you know, you know, you manifest things sometimes. You know, if you want them bad enough and you let it go and put the thought out there. And things just come to you, but you know, I guess I I don't remember really thinking, you know, that I wanted to be a professional musician. I never thought I'd be able to because, for one thing, I didn't think I was good enough, you know, and I couldn't play like you know a lot of other people. And back when I was coming up, I mean, blues wasn't that popular, you know, and even way even up in the 80s you know blues wasn't popular you know uh stevie ray vaughn helped all of that a lot you know but before him you know muddy waters and them were making some money but they weren't making that big of money you know i don't think i don't know what they were making but you know i i did it because i loved it you know and i worked construction <laughs> And did all that stuff just to afford my bad habits, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> how, how easy was it to decide to become a full-time musician? 
Well, you know, uh, things just kind of unfolded. Uh, you know, they asked me to play on that record, and then then after that, we started, you know, started getting some gigs and playing, and, you know, I was doing more of it. And then I was, what really happened, I was, I was getting close to turning 40. And, you know, I've been playing, you know, I'd play on the weekends and at night and do, you know, build houses and do construction work all day. And, uh, and then I was getting close to turning 40. And uh, I thought, you know, I, I want to put my m emphasis on music because I don't want to end up being 60 and wish that I had. And so... Uh, so I started putting my, you know, putting the energy out there to play music, and uh, and it just things just started unfolding, and you know, <laughs> I got to where at one time, I mean, I could put a band together in like thirty, forty minutes, you know. <laughs> I, had, I had a list of musicians that, and I would play juke joints, little road houses, or you know. Whatever, you know, somebody called me, hey, Kenny, can you play a gig tonight? You know, it'd be like four o'clock. Yeah, where's it at? <laughs> and I'd, I'd go to call and people, you know, I played gigs with people that I only met when they walked on stage, you know. <laughs> and, and that was but, more, like, is it correct to say that was the Hill Country Blues or is it more, like, did you play other kind of music? Well, yeah, I play a little bit of country music, some old stuff, uh, old rock and roll. Uh, you know, I was doing Chuck Berry stuff or Muddy Waters or Elmore James, you know, uh, and a little bit of country, not a lot, you know. And and when did when did the slide become such a big thing for you? Well, uh, gosh, after Joe died, well, Joe showed me how to play slide with a pocket knife, you know, and lay the guitar in your lap. Right. He showed me open G tuning, you know, doing it like that. And then after Joe died, uh, Bobby Ray Watson was a, a white guy that had lived up, up there and learned from Joe. And he had been in a lot of bands. He was about 10 years older than me, but he had been out in California. And after Joe died, uh, Bobby Ray came back and he actually showed me how to take a piece of pipe and put it on my finger and uh, play slide like that. And it just, like, um, I remember he showed me an Elmore James lick. I, th I don't think I did anything else for two <laughs> weeks, you know, but play, play that. But Bobby Ray turned me on to a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of people and uh, a lot of good music, you know, taught me a lot of stuff. I had this vague memory of talking to you and you telling me how much Dwayne Allman meant to you. I don't know if, if I'm remembering oh. things correctly, but I have this vague memory of that. Yeah, I mean, I loved his stuff, not that I could play it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really play his style, but, uh, you know, I love that stuff, you know. Uh, and... Yeah, I listened. To, I listened to that that Fillmore East album, uh, 
gosh, for years, you know, I, I think I loaned it to somebody and, I, and they never brought it back. <laughs> but, uh, I wonder, though, that kind but, of playing, I don't know if, if it lends itself to the kind of music that you do. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I know that sounds kind of weird, yeah. but there, there just seems to be a bit, bit of a difference in what you do to mm -hmm. what they yeah. do or did. Well, you know, I learned from everybody I could and everywhere I could, you know, from every book, every record. Uh, and back when I was trying to learn, or well, I'm still trying to learn, but now, back then, you couldn't open up a computer and find any song that you wanted. You could, you know, uh, I had to go search out people and find them and then see if they would show me something. And, uh, you know, and I listened to a lot of records, a lot of Muddy Waters and stuff, and uh, Elmore James and all those guys. I think, you know, that's why first time I met Mojo Buford, we hit it really off really well because he loved my slide playing. But, you know, I think that was from, you know, come from playing with Muddy and all. But uh, yeah, I learned from everybody, you know, anywhere I could. You know? Tell me what, what R.L. and the time that you spent with him, what, what would have been one of the greatest lessons that you learned from him? <laughs> uh, gosh, <laughs> I don't know with R.L. Probably park headed out. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I think I learned, actually learned that from Bobby Ray uh, Watson, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we'd go to a juke joint or something, we'd always park headed out in case we had to leave in a hurry. <laughs> the, the success of R.L. with Fat Possum and, and presenting blues in a different light, did that surprise you? Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess it did. Um, I mean, how did he feel about it? Well, he was making money, you know, and the people, I mean, he loved playing, but I mean, he would rather sit at home with his family and played on his front porch and somebody just send him a check, but, you know, but that ain't, that ain't happening, you know, but uh, uh, he liked playing, you know, for the people and loved talking to people and, you know, meeting people and going different places, but, uh, you know, toward the end, I think he got, you know, just tired of the road, which is easy to do, you know. Uh, so. And then you started a solo career. What was the mm -hmm. thinking behind that? Like, what, what goals did you have for that? Well, I just, I just wanted to play. I mean, even while I was playing with RL, I was doing side gigs too, you know, and trying to write some songs and, you know, find, you know, I wanted to do my own thing too, you know, but I wanted to play with R.L. And there were a couple of times where I had something booked and then they'd have a gig pop up with R.L. where I, di I didn't go because, uh, you know, I had something previously booked, you know. Right. And they, you know, got some people to fill in for me. And, you know, if I had to do over again, I probably wouldn't have done that, you know. I would have stayed with him, went with him, because, you know, I loved R.L. And, and I think I probably played with him better than anybody else did, you know. Right. Um, 
Um, is that your dog in the background? Yes, that's my, yeah, yeah, my wife, my wife spoiled that dog, but uh, that was my dog, <laughs> now it's my wife's dog. <laughs> Um, you also got to work with a lot of other people. And then what, what I'm thinking of is a Junior Kimbrough, for one. Mm -hmm. But you, didn't you do some work with Cindy Lauper as well? Yeah, I did, uh, I think, one song only. But uh, I was supposed to win. They told me they wanted me to do two or three songs with her. And then when I got there, they only had one that they wanted me to play on. But it was a Memphis record or something, I think is what it was called. Played, uh, I think I played Rolling Tumbling, played Lap Steel on that. So that's pretty neat. This is for that blues album that she did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Ann Peebles sang on that song, that met her, and Howard Grimes on drums. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a good record, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and then the most recently, you got to work with the Black Keys. Yeah. How did that yeah, come about? Yeah. Uh, and tour with them. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, well, answered the phone. That's the way it happened. <laughs> but uh, they had come to see uh, R.L. and I play and Cedric play in Cleveland, Ohio, back years ago when they were just starting out and just when they were young guys. And uh Eric Deaton, who played with Junior Kimbrough, had done some sessions up there with Dan, and uh, they called him, asked him to uh, get me to come up to play on a Robert Finley record, yeah. And uh, that went real well. We, they hired us for three or four days, and it went. we did it, I think, in two, the Robert Finley thing, and. We jammed one day, me and Dan and Eric, one day after the Robert thing, and Dan said, well, y'all stick around, I'm gonna get Patrick in here tomorrow and we'll do some stuff. And uh, we did uh, five hours that day and then five hours the next day and that was that Delta Cream record. And uh, and then they've had me play on some other things. We got done, a, uh, another Robert Finley record, which I think is the best one, uh, that Black Bayou that came out, uh, when did it come out in the fall, maybe, I think, sometime last year. That's a really good record. And then they had me play on a Hank Jr. record. Uh, wow. Rich White Honky Blues. I think that's one that's on Easy Eye. But yeah. And then recorded a few songs and I think we're supposed to have done some more but they've been busy doing shows and stuff and they they got a new record that's coming out that they worked on a lot um, so we'll probably do that later and actually going down to South by Southwest to play with them uh, next month actually. okay so when you play with that band I presume they're at a, a different level like they're They've done quite well. Oh, as far yeah. as yeah, as far as audience, yeah, they're at a huge level above where I was at. <laughs> so, what's that like for you? Oh, it was great, man. You know, I mean, it's good. You know, like 
we, you know, had the best hotels and the, you know, best food. We had caterers traveling with us and had a good bus and uh, a bunch of buses. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were playing for anywhere from, you know, probably 5,000 to 20,000 people, you know. And I didn't have to pick up a guitar or tune a guitar. I mean, somebody handed me my guitar when it was time to play. And, uh, yeah, you spoil you right quick, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. They're great guys, you know, and, and you know, every night we we loved it, you know. It was, but, you know, we only did like five or six songs with them each night. So, you know, just come out and hit, you know, and do your thing and go back to the dressing room. <laughs> so. Um. I, I don't know about the timing, but, you know, so the last time I saw you in Notad, Norway, um, when I did the interview mm -hmm. with you, probably 10, 2010, around that same time, I think the Black Keys had gone there, and this was like right after the, the first album. And I remember interviewing mm -hmm. Patrick at that point, and he was kind of saying, I'm not sure why yeah. we're here, but I don't know if you guys met at that point, <laughs> right? Because this is right when the album was breaking, that first album, and this was yeah. probably the first gig outside of North America that they had done. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I met them. I, they were on Fat Possum then, I think, and uh, I'm sure they were, yeah. But uh, we actually met briefly on the bus headed to the airport from no time. Oh, okay. Yeah. But uh, I had gone, I remember, I, you know, I'd heard about them and they were playing there and I went over to the club they were playing in and listened to a song or two, but they, they were real loud, you know, at that point. <laughs> uh, but they were good, you know, but uh, yeah, but, um, you know, they, they're great guys and they just, man, they do, they just do so when you go in to record with them, it's like it's no nonsense, and you know they have an idea, and you know, like an hour later, it's down on, it's recording. Wow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I mean, they don't mess around. And and how do you feel about the way they presented, I guess, your music, or the music of your region? Oh, ah, well, they did a good job, you know, do a good job, and I think. I think we did a great job on the Delta Cream record, I, you know, I, and I know it sold probably more records than anybody that won a Grammy that year. You know, we got nominated for a Grammy, and and they sent me and Eric out to out to uh, Vegas, you know, to accept if we won it, but we didn't win. But uh, it was great being nominated, you know. First time I'd ever been nominated for one, I think. R.L. had been, well, I wasn't nominated, but the Black Keys and the record were. But, and I think R.L. may have been nominated before, but I, I can't remember. Um, I think he was nominated and we didn't win, yeah. At this point, like, I think I, I noticed that you had just done a country single not too long ago. Am I? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I did a Is that influenced by your work with um, Hank Williams Jr., or is it? I, I, you oh, said that you were into country no. from the very beginning. 
Yeah, man, I grew up, you know, like my mom singing Hank Williams songs while she washed dishes, you know, and, and uh, you know, in the 50s, uh, you know, I remember watching TV, you know, watching, well, Grand Ole Opry and all that kind of stuff, and country, you know, like growing up in North Mississippi, uh, in the 50s and 60s, uh, I guess you were exposed, or I was, to all kinds of music, you know. But it was, it's a but, kind of a departure for you, is it not? Well, I, you know, I, I love, I mean, country music, I mean, that's like, country music just blues <laughs> done a little differently, right. you know. I mean, because... Uh, to me, it is. I mean, you know, Hank Jr., some of his songs, his country songs, man, are just blues. And Hank Sr., a lot of his stuff is just blues to me, you know. Um, now, the stuff you hear out of Nashville these days, not so much blues, you know. <laughs> or, or not so much <laughs> <To> country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either way. Yeah, either one. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, I love country music and uh, the old stuff, you know. And I, I cut a couple of songs, and a lot of people been asked, you know, asked me to, you know, do a whole album like that. And I've been digging out some songs, you know, gonna try to do something like that. So even though you're deeply rooted in the blues, because that whatever song I heard on on Spotify or Apple Music seemed very mm -hmm. old country music. And very different yeah. from what I'm used to hearing from you. Yeah. Well, I think uh, if it was off that single that I did is either The Bottle Let Me Down yeah. or uh, Honky Tonk Angels or something like that. Whatever, whatever. Didn't know God made Honky Tonk Angels. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the name right. of it. Yeah. <laughs> those, those are the two that were on that record. I cut three or four, and those two they put on the single. So there's a chance that but, you would uh, pursue that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got several other country songs that I want to do. Uh, yeah, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis lived right down the road from me. when I, After I was about 18, Jerry Lee moved down there to Nesbitt. And I got to meet him just uh, a few years before he died. Actually, we they did a Hill Country Hall of Fame, and and they inducted me and Jerry Lee at the same same date. Wow! <laughs> so, and I got to meet him. That that was great. You know, he was a great guy. I had seen him around, you know, before, but I you know heard how how he was, and I was embarrassed, you know. Or, didn't wanna. Didn't take. Didn't get my nerve up to introduce myself back years ago, but I did that day. <laughs> yeah. How, when you look at the blues today, what, how, what do you see, and what, how, what does, how does it make you feel? Oh uh, well. That uh, you know. There, there are a lot of young cats coming on that, you know, they're doing good stuff and carrying it on. I mean, it ain't ever going to die because uh, there's just too much feeling in it. Uh, you know, some of the, some people, you know, just, I'm not real crazy about the, you know, all the hot lick stuff, you know, that, but 
I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm glad to see people making a living playing blues. You know, right. and for years I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, a few people were doing it, but I mean, a lot of people were working a job and to be able to afford to play. You know, because right. guitars and amps and vehicles aren't cheap, and uh, food and a lot more so now than then though. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad to see people playing and and being creative, you know. And it's, it's kind of tough, you know, finding something that hadn't been said in a way that somebody hadn't said it, you know. And, and as for the Mississippi Hill Country Blues, is there up-and-comers, other young people still doing that? Yeah, yeah, there's young guys. There's uh, Cameron Kimbrough, which is Kent, Kent Kimbrough's son. He's he's doing it, and his partner, Damien, that they play together. And then they're uh, like little Joe Ayer's son, Trenton. He's playing, and uh, Cedric, you know, he's out playing, you know. Cedric's older than those guys, and then they're – there's there's a lot of cats coming around, you know, playing. There's a uh, there's a guy on Easy Eye. Uh, what's his name? Nat. I think he's Filipino or something, but he lit from Kentucky. There, <laughs> he, he, he real he's playing really good, you know. Uh, there are a lot of cats around, you know. Kingfish, you know. I played on a record with the he he was going to the Delta Blues Museum playing in that school they had. They had me go down and play on a for a record once with those kids and they were like seven and eight and ten, you know, and they were like just kids like one of them be playing something, the other one telling me, Oh, that ain't right, you know, let me play that. You go play drums, you know, and they were just jumping around from drums to bass to guitar and and now Kingfish, you know, and Anthony Sherrard, uh, those guys are grown now, but they, you know, they started young down there in Clarksdale, you know. So. Kind of like you. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got a, a actual for, formal school down there that you know teaches. It's not a full time school, but they have a class at the Delta Blues Museum that where kids can go learn, you know. And there's a couple of young guys uh, down there that are, well, I don't think they're over 12 that are playing some good stuff now, you know. Wow. So you, you mentioned about the possibility of doing some country music uh, projects, but um, do you have anything else in mind over the next little while? Any goals? Yeah, I got a project that uh, we got pretty much recorded uh, got to get it mastered and stuff and i don't know where it's gonna go if we have to put it out ourselves or what but uh me and kenny kimbrough and D eric deaton and Dwayne burnside and gary burnside and uh we we did a some recording here in my barn that uh it's some good stuff you know we're gonna try to put that out and then I got, um, 
hope I've got some songs I've been working on trying to get them recorded too. Great. Well, Kenny, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I enjoyed talking to you a number of years ago, and uh, I thought I should check in on you and get to know yeah, you a little bit better because you. your history is such an amazing thing. And, and to learn from the masters as you <laughs> did and to carry on that tradition, it's, um, it's pretty amazing. And, and to see, you know, you said that whether it be a curse or something that you didn't choose that they chose you, but it certainly got you around the world and to places I'm sure you never expected to go. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think I think I counted it up one time. I've been to like 17 or 18 countries, and I, I think I've been to every state uh, in the United States. And so, you know, that's, that's pretty amazing for a, you know, country boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, man, yeah, man. Um, Thanks for, you know, contacting me and all. And, uh, you take care. All right. All right. All right. But Bye. you too. Thanks, man.